Welcome to the Real Church Podcast. Our mission is for you to know the love of Jesus and live out your God-given purpose. Now, join us and listen in to the latest message from Pastor David John Phillips. So now we're going to get into the third and final message of the series, Generous. You guys enjoyed this series so far? Yeah, so a couple people have at least. So generous, the first message we talked about, generous God. We have a generous God. And we proved and we showed how he is generous. And because we have a generous God, and because if you've given your life to, to Jesus, if you've given your life to him, then God lives in you. Therefore, we are generous, which is pretty amazing. Number two, the second message, we talked about generous church. And we showed the end, we were very transparent. We showed the ins and outs of real church and how we do generosity at real church and what that looks like and what it's looked like in the past, even before we, we, we were a church. If you missed that, um, you want to go to realchurch.us slash listen, check out the podcast. It's pretty, it's a lot of fun. And uh, we also talked about uh, the principle there of seed, time, and then a harvest. Sow seed, wait some time, there's a harvest in every area of your life. Um, and, and so it was a big deal. And now today we're going to talk about, the title is, if we, Generous God, Generous Church today is Generous People. So we finish with generous people. Now, God is a God of principle. Would you agree? God sets principles in nature throughout creation that you can, in Romans 1, it says that, that his nature is clearly seen throughout creation. Um, uh, that you can tell who he is and how he does things. And as we see who he is and the, the principles that he set in nature, we have a clear, more clear understanding of who we were created to be. Because in Ephesians 5.1, as we pointed out last week, we are created to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children, which is pretty amazing in itself. So there is a principle of generosity that we're going to talk about, this, this principle that I guess would unlock, if you will, uh, uh, generosity in our heart if we understand it and if we know it. And we're going to talk about that principle, dig deep into that principle. But before we do, I want to share a couple of other things. Number one, you might have the question, why are you talking about this? Why are you talking about generosity so much? Why did you do a series on it? Why? I don't understand. Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Maybe you're following along on your, on your phone, realchurch.us, that this Sunday thing. You'll, you should see the, the notes and stuff there or in your Bible. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 says, But since you excel in everything, and I do believe you, real church, I believe you excel in everything. You're growing and you are learning to excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and sincerity there, in, and in love that we have kindled in you. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I love, I love our serve team. I love our dream team. I love every aspect of this church because I just see people that are loving others genuinely. They're laying their life down for, for, for you guys. So as you walk onto this campus, you see our serve team and, 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 and it's genuine smiles and they genuinely care and they ask how you're doing and they offer you coffee or donuts or, or you, 
you should see them setting up in the morning. I mean, it's, it's hard work, but why do they do it? So that you can experience Jesus in a real way. They are sincerely and earnestly loving and excelling in faith because of that. And it's amazing. Real Church is doing well with that. Yeah, give, her, yeah, give our serve team a hand if you don't mind. Thank you, guys. And shameless plug, if you want to be a part in any way of, of uh, serving at Real Church or, being, or learning who we are, we have next steps, which Christina alluded to. My wife uh, will be teaching that after every service, after this service as well. It's only about 35 minutes long, so, so learn about what it means to be a part or to get involved with Real Church. But since you excel in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love we have content, uh, kindled in you, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Generous people in the grace of giving. You know, it is a grace to give. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And you might not think that, you might not feel that sometimes, but it is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. If you understand that you've gotten what you don't deserve, then you realize that you can give what others don't deserve as well. There is a grace to giving. And we as a church not only need to excel in faith and excel in earnestness and in love and all of those other things, but also to grow and excel in the grace of giving, of generosity. Crazy thing is, you know, people don't think Jesus liked to talk about money, but as I've alluded to before, I've uh, talked about before, Jesus talked about money about four times more, money and possessions, about four times more than any other topic, which is crazy. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Did, did he care about your money? No, he cared about your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So, there's some more things. Why is it so important? Because the, another thing that God said is, if you're faithful with a little, you've heard it, then he will entrust you with more. Why? Because if he can trust you to be faithful with a little, then he can trust you to be faithful with more. Another little pithy saying, if you will, is, is if God can give it through you, then he can give it to you. If God can give it through you, then he can give it to you. Okay, so... So what is this principle that unlocks this, this key of generosity? It's so important and so foundational, and maybe you've heard it before. It is the principle of first. The principle of first. It's found throughout the Scripture. It's found throughout the Bible. Maybe you've heard pastors talk about it, this uh, the, getting your priorities in order. You know, you, you've heard maybe this pyramid type of thing where at the top, imagine at the top you have this first foundation, I mean this first thing, God. You have to have God first in your life. If your priorities are out of order, then your life is out of order, right? Maybe you've heard pastors say that or, or teachers or a mentor or something like that say that in your life. And, and a lot of times they'll say, so God first and then number two is family. Family second, you know, your wife, your kids, your, your, your uh, husband, you know, things like that. And, and, and really, by the way, guys, your church is your family as well because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're connected by the blood of Jesus, which is thicker than, blood, than our blood, you know? So, so, I mean, I have, I have 
Christian brothers and sisters in, in Africa, in India, in Mexico, in, in Colombia that I've met, sat, and talked with, and I feel closer with them than I do some of my own extended family. Why? Because we're on the same page in Jesus, and that's amazing. And that, once again, that, that runs stronger than, than some blood ties. Like, your church family... You have your, 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 your wife and your kids and, and all of that. That's important, very important. But also your church family is important too, connected by Jesus. So anyway, priority, this, this pyramid of priority. You got God first and then family second and then work third and then play fourth. And you get that in order, then you're right. Maybe you've heard a, a lot of people talk about that. That just never really sat well with me. Because what it implies is in an area of your life, like, you know, churches would say, uh, you, you give God your first 10% of your finances, and then the other 90% is yours. It just doesn't sit right with me. It, or, 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 or if you give God the first 30 minutes of your day, the first bit of your time, then the rest of your day is yours. It, it almost is this implication that you, you do your due diligence to put God first in this area, and then you can go on about your own business. It just... It makes more sense to me, or it made more sense to me before I started studying this, for, for God to be the center of your life, for, for it to be a God-centered life, for God to be the center of your finances, for God to be the center of your family, for God to be the center of the church relationships, um, for God to be the center of your play, God to be the center of, your, uh, of all of your uh, communication with people, God to be the center of all of that. And so it just, I, I never got it. And, and there was some missing link there until I figured it out. It was a light bulb or something. It should go off over my head. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11, verse 16. It says, If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And that sounds like a bunch of Christianese church lingo, so let me, let's talk about it. If the part of the dough offered first is holy, what does holy mean? Holy means set apart to God, like, like devoted to God. Then the whole thing is holy. So what you give first, everything else follows. Let me, let me say it in, in another way. What we put first in our life or in an area of our life is central to our life or central to that area of our life. Let me say it another way. Whatever is first in our life, the rest of our life revolves around that. Practically speaking, if, you, if what is most important in your life, what is first in your life is your wife, then your whole life will revolve around your wife and that's not healthy. Practically speaking, if what is first and most important in your life is your job, then every aspect, all of your decisions and everything will revolve around your job. If what is first in your life is your kids, it sounds good, but every aspect of your life will revolve around your kids, and it's not healthy. If what is first in your life is yourself, then every aspect of your life will revolve around yourself. That's not healthy either. But if what is first in your life is holy, is set apart to God, then your whole life is holy and set apart to God. 
God wants to be the center of your life, and the way that he's the center of your life is he's first in your life. There's a connection. It's not separated. It's both and. I've never seen that before. So in the pyramid of priorities then, if God is the first, then he is the center. So if God is, a, is the first, then he's the center of your family, then he's the center of your work, and he's the center of your play. With finances, because we're in the generosity series, if God is first with our money, then everything we do with our money will revolve around him, and so we can be radically generous as he is radically generous. So how do we live out this principle of first? Let's go to Genesis. Got to show it in the scripture. This is fun. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through, let's read 1 through 7. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So uh, when you first read that, at first thought, Abel gave to God. Cain gave to God. Why didn't God accept both of them? Why didn't God look at favor with both of them? I don't get it. Like, if we do something for God, doesn't God accept anything that we do for him? Shouldn't he accept anything we do for him? And emphatically, I want to tell you, absolutely not. No. Hebrews 11.6. I mean, I know that's a common thought, but it's not reality. It's not truth. The Bible says truth, and let's point out truth for this situation because it's important for our life because it goes in line with the principle of first. Hebrews eleven six, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because you must believe that he exists. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So anything that we do for him must be a result of Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. So it must be a result of and a response to what he has spoken, to what he has said, either through scripture or through you know, prayer or through others or whatever. So faith is a result of hearing him. Okay. Then also it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, anything not done in faith, oh, this is huge. Anything not done in faith is sin. Huh. Anything not done in faith is sin. So then, what if we peel back the onion a little bit? <laughs> what if we peel back the layers? What was it about Abel's offering and Cain's offering? Why did God accept Abel's and God reject Cain's? Let's, 
look at it in a little bit of story mode, if you will, because I like to do that. My wife, my wife loves to do it, and I just love the way that she does it. So imagine Cain, Cain's the firstborn. Adam and Eve have, have Cain, and we, the Bible doesn't say how far in between Cain and Abel, uh, uh, how many years in between the, them they are. Uh, that sounded weird. How many years there are in between them? There we go. You know, is there one year? Is there three years? Is there five years? Is there 10 years? We don't know. I mean, so let's just assume there's three to five years because it really doesn't matter there. And, and so three to five years in between them. Now, Cain being the firstborn, Adam as a father teaches Cain a skill because it's also it's something that they need to grow. Uh, the first thing he teaches them is, is how to be a farmer. He teaches them how to grow crops. And we know from later in Scripture that Cain absolutely loved uh, being a farmer. He loved producing fruit from the ground because when God took it from him, he was distraught. So Cain loved his job. He loved what he did. And then Abel comes along a few years later. Cain's probably already working the ground because Abel's younger. And it's time for daddy, for Adam, to teach Abel a skill. And so he's already taught his older son how to, to work the ground and to do crops and stuff. So he teaches Abel how to be a shepherd. He teaches him because they have some flocks and stuff and they, they, they you know, uh, use them for meat and use them for other things. So he teaches them how to be a shepherd. Now, in teaching a, a, a young boy how to be a shepherd when he's ready, he probably didn't give him all of his flocks, if we just had to assume, right? He probably gave him um, a young couple of sheep, maybe a young couple of calves or something like that to raise. And, of course, we're, we're just imagining here, kind of um, um, uh, embellishing, if you will. So imagine if Abel were to raise these two sheep and are these couple of sheep and these couple of calves from 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 birth or as as little babies it, it take a couple of years before they were ready to produce children before they're ready to be pregnant right but that's how flocks grow they get pregnant now if if you ever have had an animal and you took a lot of time raising that animal and you took a lot of time you really cared about it you love the animal you really do and so any children or any any um, uh, babies that come from that animal you care about them a whole lot now, if we look at Scripture, there's a difference in what happens here. In verse 3, it says, In the course of time, so we don't know how much, long, how much time, but in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions. The NIV says, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The ESV, and actually the original text, doesn't say some. All right. So he brought fast, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Cain brought some. Abel brought the best from the first. We know that Cain didn't bring the best from the first of his field because it specifically points out that Abel brought the fat, the best, from the first of his flock and doesn't say that about Cain. So Cain didn't bring the best and Cain didn't bring the first, but Abel did. So what is going on here? Let's think about it for a moment. If Abel is bringing the firstborn of his flock, then Abel, that's the firstborn of a sheep or the firstborn of a cow. Abel has no idea if that cow or that sheep is ever going to produce again. So in giving the firstborn, 
Abel is saying to God, I trust you with my future. I don't know if this is going to produce again. I don't know what's going to happen again. But I'm trusting you with my future. I'm trusting that you're going to bless. I'm, I'm trusting you with control. Abel, I mean Cain on the other hand, didn't give the first. So what probably happened is Abel, I mean Cain gathered a lot of his corn, a lot of his, his fruit and stuff, and made sure that he had enough for harvest uh, until the next harvest season comes around. And then he had some overflow, and he gave some, not even the best, not even what he liked the most, he gave some of what he had to God, showing that he was in control of his future because he didn't give the first and he didn't give the best, but he still gave some to God. Which one's faith? It doesn't take faith to give out of the overflow. It takes faith to give what's first. It doesn't take faith to give leftovers. It takes faith to give what's first and what's best. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything not done in faith is. So there's this principle of first because in giving first and allowing God to have the first, you're putting him at the center of every aspect of your life. And in giving God first of what comes in, we're trusting him with our future. We're walking by faith and we're putting him at the center of everything that comes after what we have given. So we give God the first. How do we live by the principle of first? We give God the first. Why? Number one, because it takes faith to give God the first. Number two, because our life centers around what is first. And God wants to be first. He wants to be the center of our life, of every area of our life, including our finances. So what does it look like for God to be the first in our finances? I'll tell you this. I'll tell you what I know. It's not a certain dollar amount. Let me show you. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. And this might... This might catch you off guard. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Hold on, hold up. I thought Jesus didn't care. No, no. Jesus is at the place where they're having service. He's watching the offering buckets and he's checking them out and watching who puts in what. I'm not going to do that, guys. <laughs> I'll never do that, ever. But he's watching who puts in what. Why? Because Jesus cares about your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. Now, check out what it says. Many rich people threw in large amounts. That seems amazing. It seems like the more that you give, the better your heart is, right? I mean, that's, that's no. <clears throat> but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So like two pennies calling to his disciples, hey boys, come over here. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth. Think about Cain, giving out of their abundance, giving out of what's left over. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. She was trusting God with control. All she had to live on. Now, is it a sin to be rich? No. It gets a blessing. God wants to bless you with more. As you're faithful with a little, he blesses you with more. Why? So you can be a blessing to others. It's a blessing. It's, it's a joy. Is it, is it better to be poor? No, not necessarily. I know so many poor people that have more greed than rich people. 
They're always looking and blaming, blaming their, you know, their situation and everything on everybody else and saying, I wish I had what they had and I wish I had what they had. No, no, no. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what you're given and steward it's a, a biblical term. Um, take care of, be faithful with what you have now, being thankful. And as you do, God will bless you with more so you can be generous on every occasion. So what was it? It was the faith. One was like Cain, giving out of the surplus, but really staying in control, because faith is not being in control. It's letting God have control. And the other was giving the best and the first to God. It was faith. So it all boils down to faith. God-led generosity is a step of faith. Now, practically then, practically speaking, how do I give my first? Because we're talking about generous people. So I'm going to preach this. Then I'm going to be radically transparent with my life because that's a core value of real church. Communicate transparently. You can ask me if we ever um, have a meeting. You ever want to have a meeting, go to coffee with me or whatever. You can ask me anything you want. I don't care. And I'm just going to be completely honest and open. Why? Because, uh, because that's how Jesus was, I believe. Transparency builds relationships. Any kind of guardedness in your, in your relationship with your wife or your husband or friendships, any, any lack of transparency is a lack of intimacy. It's a lack of closeness. Period. So, so with that then, as a church, we want to communicate transparently in everything. And as an individual, that's part of our core values, communicating transparently. So, practically then, how do I give my first? And what I tell you, I'm not saying anything to brag or to cut down or any, anything like that. I'm just telling you, um, and like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, period. I mean... So I've always, and I'll, I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you why. I've always, because I, I saw my dad, like I imagine Abel and Cain saw their dad, and they, you do what you, you see. I saw my dad always give 10% of everything they made to, to the local church. So when I started a job at 15 years old, 14 and 15 years old, I started giving 10% of everything I had to the local church. Now later I began to learn why, why I do that, and I'll tell you why I do that. And ever, all of my life, with my wife, we always give at least, and I'm, at least 10% to our local church. Why? Because the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And the church is the body of Christ. All right? Church is the body of Christ. So therefore, if I'm giving 10% or the first 10% to the local church, then I'm giving that to God because it's the body of Christ, period. Number two, where your treasure is, your heart is. So you can see where my heart is. My heart is with the body of Christ. My heart is with his bride. My heart is with the church, 100%. And I'm giving that. Now, you might ask, and this is, might be a little different from what you've heard before, why do you give at least 10%? I'm glad you asked. It's my favorite part of this message. Why do you give at least 10%? Well, you have the Old Testament, and you have the New Testament. You have the Old Covenant, and you have the New Covenant, okay? Now, <clears throat> in the Old Covenant, there were 613 laws. 613, that's a lot. You might be familiar with the first 10. Thou shalt not something. Thou shalt not this. Thou shalt not that, right? Um, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not um, commit adultery, right? 
And then part of that, and a lot of churches would teach this, uh, um, um, I won't go there, but a lot of churches will teach like tithing. It's one of the 613 laws there. Tithing is, is you give the first 10% to the local storehouse or whatever that is, the, the church, which is great. And there's a better way. In the New Testament, because so you got the Old Covenant and you got the New Covenant. You got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nobody could follow all of the laws of the Old Testament. Nobody could. It pointed out our inability to follow them. It pointed out our inability to, to live a perfect life. So we were broken. So Jesus came and fulfilled the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Covenant. And now we're under the New Covenant. We're under Christ. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, look it up. It's awesome. It says, sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Who is grace? Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it shows that God's grace empowers us to live by the spirit of the law. He gave us a new heart. He said his laws would be written on our heart. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Let me, let me show you. Let me, let me explain real practically. The law said do not commit adultery. I've given my life to Jesus. God's changed my heart. So now, sir, you have an amazingly beautiful wife. Used to, I might commit lust in my heart with my eyes and with my mind. But now God's changed my heart from the inside out. And as I see him, I'm becoming more like Jesus. And I'm learning to love people and, and love people better. And love people not just on the outside, but from the intentions of my heart. So now when I see you and I see your marriage and your, and your amazingly beautiful wife, I don't want to commit adultery with your wife. I want to bless your marriage. I want to help you to have a better marriage. Why? Because Jesus is conforming me from the inside out to look more like him. Living from the intention, the spirit of the law. Now, number two, well, what about stealing? You know, naturally everybody steals and says, ah, that's, that's mine as a two-year-old, right? A two-year-old naturally steals. It's, it's inbred in them because it's, it's our nature. But when we're born again, we have a new nature. God changes us from the inside out. So now, sir, ma'am, I don't want to steal from you. As I'm learning to be more like Jesus, I want to give to you. I want to be radically, Jesus, uh, radically generous because his spirit is empowering me and, and, and leading me in every aspect of my life. And it's changing me from the inside out. Does that make sense? Do not murder. I don't want to murder you. I want to help you. I want to bless your life. He's changing my heart from the inside out. We have a disagreement and I get all aggravated. No, I learn to love well. because he, So with that, he's teaching us by his Holy Spirit to live from the intention of the law. And what is the intention of tithing? The law of first. Giving God your first. Giving God your best. That came way before the 613 laws. So with that, I will always, just like, I don't wanna steal, I will always I want to start, if I don't know where to start, I'll start with what it said. I'll start with giving my first 10%. But I'll pray, God, what is my best? What is my first? Because I want to give my first and I want to give my best. I want to follow. Maybe 10% isn't your best. Maybe it is. Personally, there's been times in my life where God has led last year, for instance. And I'm telling you this not to, I'm telling you this just um, as an example. 
we gave our first 10% to the church because he's, living us, he's teaching us to, to give first to God. And as we give first to God, the rest of our life is oriented, centered around him. The rest of our finances is centered around him. And he's teaching us to be radically generous as he is generous. So I gave the first, we, we gave the first 10% to God or to, uh, to our church. And then God led us to save another 10% just to give radically, randomly. Crazy, huh? So we wrote our check for the first 10% and the second 10% we put in a random account and called it the giving account. Why? Because God is, Jesus is radically generous and he's teaching us to excel in the grace of giving. And so I remember there would be times when we'd be in the, in the grocery store line and, uh, and, you know, somebody would be about to buy this whole bunch of groceries and they'd be about to swipe their card and, and we'd run up and just swipe our credit card in front of them. And they, you know, they, you know imagine it was a lady or whatever, because we did it a lot. Would, would turn around and look and say, well, you know, what's going on? And, and we'd say, God just loves you so much. He cares about you. And we just felt led that we wanted to do this for you because God's radically generous and, and he loves you a lot. And we just walk away. I remember there'd be times where we would be at a restaurant. I don't know if you've ever been a server. I have. And church people are notoriously terrible tippers crazy though because grace is giving what you don't deserve right getting what you don't deserve because he is gracious we are gracious anyway so we have this money like we've saved it we've allotted it it's already set aside to give like we're just looking for opportunities to be generous isn't that fun so we have a waitress that would be a terrible waitress like just absolutely horrible and she already knows that she's horrible right so she's probably expecting less of a tip. And what do we do? $60 bill. We give her a $60 tip. Why? Because we to do that. So we're just being obedient to that. And in that faith, he multiplies, but he also changes lives through his grace. Isn't that crazy? What do you think that, that waitress felt? What did you feel when you realized how much God had given to you that you didn't deserve? Oh my gosh, I'm forgiven. I don't, oh my God. Why did you do this? Because God loves you so much. And he thinks that you're amazing. Sometimes maybe you get to pray for them. Sometimes you get to lead them to Jesus. Sometimes they just walk away dumbfounded and you walk away and let the Holy Spirit do his, do his deal. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit's awesome. Why could we do that? Because we were giving God our first and he was teaching our heart in every aspect of our finances to be oriented around him instead of around ourselves. I think right now right now we, we give our first 10% to real church and then we have an extra 2% that we're saving up for giving just being obedient to what he tells us to do some of you your first and your best might be 20%. It might be 30%. Some of you, it might, you're like, I, there's no way I could do that. Well, start somewhere. It might be 2 2%. It might be 5%. I don't know. But be consistent. Be obedient. Excel in the grace of giving. And as you are faithful with a little, he will give you more. And I'd love one day to be able to live off of 10% and just be radically generous with everything else. How cool would that be? How many lives would that change? 
principle of first orients our heart to God as the center of whatever area of our life. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving us. Maybe there's someone in here as everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe there's someone in here that's never experienced the love of God as it was talked about today, never put him first in their life. They never surrendered their life to him and they realize that it's time to do that right now because I see that he loves me and he's amazing. If that's you, if you're ready to surrender your life to him for the first time, would you raise your hand? Anybody at all? Okay. Maybe there's people in here that there's areas of your life that you have not been putting him first, but you realize today that you want to put him first in every area of your life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to put God, there's there's some areas of my life that I want to put God first in. together. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that we all grow in our understanding of who you are, how much you love us, and we grow in our understanding and desire, Lord, to put you first in every aspect of our life so that you're the center of our life, so that when others see us, they see you. Lord, teach us to be radically generous people. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, before we dismiss, I have a surprise, something special for you guys, because I just want to encourage generosity. So we have gift cards. We're going to give every single one of you a gift card. Some of them are $10. Every single person gets a gift card. Husband and wife, every individual. Some of them are $10. Some of them are $15. And I want you this week, this is just to encourage the habit of giving. So I don't want you to use this for yourself. I want you to find someone in your life or someone that you don't know, it doesn't matter, and be radically generous. Be creative about it. Buy them something. You know, some of them are Starbucks gift cards. Some of them are... uh, like a MasterCard $15 gift card. Some of them are $10. Some of them are Walmart gift cards. But be creative. Be radically generous. And just tell that person God loves them or pray with them. Invite them. There's an there's a invite card. Invite them to church. just want to encourage you guys to be generous people. Man, and it's addicting. As you start, you can't stop. So maybe use the, start with the church's funds and then maybe it'll carry over and do yours. It's going to be amazing. God, I pray for every person that, that they give to this week. Lord, I pray that it, it just changes their lives. Lord, they experience not only the person giving, not only the person receiving, but also the person giving. They experience your love, and it, and it orients our hearts to put you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to The Real Church Podcast. 
If you have questions, comments, or would like to get to know us, be sure to check us out on social media by searching Real Church Clearwater or visit us online at www.realchurch.us. If you'd like to play a part in what we're doing, you can do so right where you are. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You can also be a part through giving. Go to realchurch.us and click the Give button. Whether you're praying, giving, or serving with Real Church, you are playing a part in every life being changed. Thank you. Until our next podcast, be blessed. We'll see you next time.